Good evening. Um, yeah, it's not an aerodynamic haircut. It's what can you do when you're losing hair. And so you've only got so many options, Frankie. You'll experience that later in life. Um, I want to bring up uh, one, of my, uh, one of my stepsons. Zachary, I want to have you come up here. Uh, can you give Zachary a hand? Zachary's going to come on up here. Um, come on up here. Have a seat, Zach. And um, here's the beauty about having kids is uh, you can do anything you want with them. And so he didn't know I was going to have him do this. And so this is not rehearsed or planned. Uh, he has no idea what's about to happen. Um, Unlike uh, other meetings we've had, Zach, where we're one-on-one, this is not going to be painful at all. So I just want to ask you a couple questions, and it's based on what you learned last week in church. Okay, so go all the way back to last Sunday. They don't have fifth and sixth grade ministries at the 1150 hour. We found out, and so Zachary joined us for the big service. And in the big service, uh, Scott Rogers came, and he talked to us about what? Good Samaritan. Good. And so for everyone out there now, give us the story of the Good Samaritan based on whatever you remember from last Sunday. Tell us the story of the Good Samaritan. So, um, this guy who was going down the 17-mile road that was like 4,000 miles going, no, not 4,000, 4,000 degrees going up. 4,000 feet. Feet going up. There you go. And there were a lot of robbers on this road that, or muggers, that sometimes hid behind rocks and pop out at you and beat you up. Well, this guy was walking down and he got robbed and was sitting on the side of the road, I guess next to his ditch, that the was next to the road. One pre he was a Samaritan and one preacher that was also no, he was what? He was Jewish. Jewish and one preacher that was also Jewish walked by and saw him, didn't mind at all and walked past. Another guy who was also Jewish who was a wor- worship leader um, David Martinez. <laughs> what did he do? He also walked past. And then one Samaritan came by who the Jewish and Samaritan did not, were not that good of friends. And the Samaritan came by and helped him up on his donkey and led him up to an inn and paid two silver coins for, for him to stay for two days. And he said, if, it, if he stays any longer, I'll be back and pay, pay him however, much, however longer he stayed. And that That's it? fascinating. Yeah. Uh, now, hang on, hang on, because I want to get to the point here, okay? So, yeah. And lest you think in, like, the Tonkinson house, we have Bible studies every morning, and I quiz the kids, and we don't do that as much as we probably should. That was the first time I asked them that since Sunday. So I either, what did Scott say? I'm either lying or dying right here, right? And so um, 
what was the point though? What did Jesus say to the lawyer who was asking him? What did Jesus say? Because he said, who is my neighbor, right? And he said, of all these three guys, which one do you want to be like? And what what did the lawyer say? Do you remember? The Samaritan. Yeah. And then what did Jesus tell the lawyer to do? Then go do it. Go do likewise. Excellent. Thank you so much, Zach. Good job, buddy. Now, I share, I start with Zachary for two reasons, guys. One is, he's 10, and that's what he got out of church on Sunday. What did we get out of church on Sunday? Are we checking our phones? Are we checking, are we, you know, our schedules? Our... It's amazing to me how much kids absorb, and sometimes they don't even look like they're doing it, isn't it? That four days later, or three days later, he can recite almost verbatim what was taught on Sunday. I'm impressed by that. Way to go, Zach. The second reason I did that, though, was because the Samaritan story, the Samaritan parable, has to be debatably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And not just from a church standpoint. Think of the many times we use the word Samaritan. And where did that come from? How many of you gave birth at Good Samaritan or were born at Good Samaritan? Um, most states, I think all 50 now, practice or have on the books the Good Samaritan Law. Which, does anyone know what the Good Samaritan Law is? Yeah. I believe if you render assistance to somebody, you can't be held liable for any injury that you make. Good. And so you're pulling someone out of a burning car and you dislocate their shoulder. They can't sue you. Uh, for hurting them or damaging or injuring them. Okay, almost all 50 states have that. The term really has become synonymous with merciful, compassionate, uh, caring. Here's the question, I guess, I want to follow up on what Scott was talking about um, Sunday morning. And the question is this. When we hear that, none of us are going to argue it. None of us are going to stand up and say, Um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I'm to be compassionate or merciful or loving or caring. But driving home on Sunday or maybe driving home tonight, the question may be in the back of your mind and certainly was in mine, so I'll just address it. Maybe we can dialogue about this as we start here tonight. How much of a good Samaritan do I need to be? I think that's the question. I don't think most believers are wrestling with, do I need to be compassionate toward people? I think what most believers wrestle with is, God, how much are you expecting from me? For instance, do I need to stop when I see a stranded motorist every time? Do I need to stop and hand off money to someone that has a sign up every time? So let's just dialogue here tonight. And, and I've got other examples here. Do, 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 I need to, do I need to serve at a soup kitchen every Saturday morning? You could. Do I need to go on at least one mission trip a year to build homes in a third world country? You could. What's the quota God, what's the quota so that when we read the Good Samaritan parable, I feel like I'm good. 
I, I can check that box off. What is it? What, what's the number? What, what, what's the degree? So let's talk out loud for just a moment here. You tell me. How much is enough? How much is enough? Yeah, that's so squishy though, isn't that? You can feel it. Now, I'm going to quote you. You can feel it when it's on your heart. The engineers in here are dying right now. Yeah. Why? But, but and, and I can do this because we've discussed, not prior to this, but, but we know each other a little bit, so I can push back. You don't know his heart. You can't read his intentions just because he's not wearing whole jeans and hasn't showered in eight years. And How would you know? How would you know he's not in a desperate need at that point? There are occasions when I do feel the urge to give him something. What, and what are those occasions? What would you give, well, who would you give credit to for that though? God. Yeah, but see, now I'm painting you in a corner here because you know what's coming now, right? That are you real, are you honestly saying that God is saying, pass on this person, don't pass on this person? I don't think he's saying pass on this person, but I think there are occasions when he says, don't pass on this person. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Hard. Yeah, Harold. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Yeah, you're, you're right. Boy, that's a, that's a great thought too. Um, it's hard, isn't it? It's, you know, and, and the logic I used to buy into was, um, well, if I give away everything, I'll have nothing, right? That logic. And, 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 and I, again, I teach high school students over at Valley Christian. I hear them say that a lot. And I'll give them that at 16 or 17 are we really going to say that at 30, 40, 50 years old? Well, if I, I mean, are you really going to, is that your best? Well, God, if I gave everything away, I'd have nothing. You, you honestly know that you really can't even do that. I mean, w- like w- with, with compiling all of the other areas of scripture, like being wise and using discretion and discernment and, and, and and, and praying about this and, and, and asking for God's leading. God, God wouldn't, I don't think, God would replace you with somebody else on the street just to prove a point, right? I mean, 
So, so when I hear people say that, I'm just thinking, I don't think you've thought through this clearly. Uh, that's just a, that's a straw man that none of us practice. Um, I'm not even close, I don't think. What, what, what is the quota? What is the... You, you just preached on the Good Samaritan last Sunday, Scott, and I drove home feeling like, you know, I'm not prideful. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I, I think I'm doing that. God, I hope I can do, do it more, but I think I'm doing it. What's that? What is that? Because we do pass by people. Not all of us are going to show up on Saturdays. When do you go to bed at night feeling like you've done enough? I think is the question. I, I thought I saw a hand over here. Yeah. Yeah, or, or how do you know when enough is enough? Okay, so, but you may have come in late, so I'm going to press you on this. <laughs> How do you know who's, what, who, what's thorny ground? Don't tell me you're led. Yeah, no, I, I'm just going to play devil's advocate just because I agree with everything you say, but then wouldn't the conclusion be so all the time? I, I sow all the time in fertile ground. <laughs> in fertile ground. <laughs> <laughs> but you're determining if it's fertile. Well, only must it be spirit-led? So the Spirit's telling you it's fertile. The Spirit of God told you that guy outside of Walmart doesn't need help. Okay. True, but I think I'm back to Earl's point, which is you can't understand grace. Um, you can get it, and you can give it. But I think in, on both sides, the person who gets it and the person who gives it, at the end of the day, goes to bed at night saying, I don't even understand this. And for, guys, for those of us that are going to punch back at that a little bit, um, those of us who have experienced grace, like at that level of, I don't get this, God, meaning you can't give me grace. Like, I reject your grace, God, because of who I am or what I've done. And God just pushes back even harder and says, that's not up to you. 
That's when we throw our hands up and, and really, I think, get into the depth of our faith and say, God, I don't understand this because I don't deserve this. See, and I think part of it, and, and the reason I start with that, guys, is because that's where I think we're, a lot of us are living here is, is a lot of us, I think, are, are, the, um, are the, we're the priest and the Levite. That when we see someone, we determine if it's worthy enough. And I'm just going to suggest this. Be right. Be right. If, if you're going to make that call, then, then, and it sounds like, go to bed at night feeling good about it. There's nothing wrong with that. Just be right. And I think it's far too easy for the Levite or the priest to walk by and have justifiable reasons not to help this guy. See, what hurts their case is his physical stature, doesn't it? That's what hurts their case. He, he clearly was in need. And a lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, we can't see that from the outside. So that's what makes it difficult for them and justifiably easier for us. They don't look like they need help, God. Often is what I do anyway. I size them up. Why does, she have, why does she have a sign out there and I see a cell phone in her back pocket? What is that all? <laughs> she ain't getting nothing. Well, he's got a kid with him. That's bonus points, right? That's sympathy points. How do you know it's his kid? Jennifer and I, my wife Jennifer and I, we... Have you seen two or three people at different, you know, at a four-way? We'll do this sometimes. You think they're working together? I think so. I, I, think, they're, I think they're on to something here. What if they are? Does that, does, that, does that make them bad people because they're both trying to make a buck? I don't know. It's, it's uh, and I'm setting all of this up because, because I... Because of the obvious point that a child can tell us. I just needed to get down to, I need it for me guys to get down to just internally going home and asking the question, God, how am I doing with one thing? And that is, look in verse, um, look in verse 33. Uh, chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Or pick any verse 33. It doesn't really matter. God will get you there. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Yeah, it's... We'll go, we'll go through the story here too, but just to, I guess, get us started. I just, I, I want to share this, I guess, and get us, get us started with this kind of thought. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, now, now listen to this, guys, okay? A certain Samaritan was on a journey and came upon this guy. And when he saw him, when he sized him up, he didn't do anything before he felt something. Do you see that? It doesn't say 
a certain man was on a journey and when he came upon him, he just helped him because he felt obligated to, because God told him to, because he was following the law, because it just says a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt something. There was something that was evoked in him by seeing somebody half dead. He didn't know him. He didn't assess the situation by way of calculating all of the variables. He saw and he felt. And what he felt was compassion. That's it. And I firmly believe what led him to do all the things that are admirable, commendable, is based on what he felt. Now the question I think for us tonight is, <clears throat> why do you feel compassion? And maybe for some of us tonight, guys, it's this. Why don't you feel compassion? He felt it. And, and it doesn't really say, maybe unfortunately, why he felt it. It just says he did. And I'm convinced that's what moved him. Rather than what the other two did. Because though the text doesn't say it, that particular passageway was, was populated with priests and Levites. Going to work, coming home. Going to work, coming home. As Scott mentioned last Sunday. And I just have to imagine, and I agree with him, it just, it, listen, if you, if you defile yourself as a priest, especially by way of helping someone that looks dead and should they turn out to be dead, it's going to take another week's worth of rituals for you to cleanse yourself. And the priest would have known that. So I don't think he's that bad of a guy. Like, he's always labeled as, you know, the, the guy. You meet this priest in heaven, you're going to know him. You're the guy. You're the guy who walked by the, Samar the, 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 the Jew who was hurting. How dare you? I would have never done that. You did it. And I think maybe his justification could have been, listen, you don't know all that was involved in my life and why I did what I did. But I sized up the situation and I made a decision and that was somebody else can help him. Levi did the same thing. I saw a couple of hands go up and I don't want to miss you guys. And so if you had your hand up and yeah. You can't. You can't. I'm going to argue this, though, pretty strongly. I always want to err on the side of, I did enough. I always want to err on the side of God having to pull me out of and give me rest. Of God saying, somebody else can handle that, Greg. You're above quota. I want God, I want the Spirit to say, no, I have you going this direction. I need you to get to this destination and I need you to get there. I've got this covered. I, I need God to tell me that. 
my experience too often has been um, I get to my destination and look back and think, well, I probably should have. And so my, my feeling is that maybe some of us in here tonight, maybe some of us last Sunday, we're thinking um, it's, it's just easy to justify. In fact, uh, I don't know if you, the, the, in 1970, Princeton University did a study, fascinating. They took, Princeton Seminary um, did a study in 1970. It took 40 seminarians, guys that were going into the ministry, and they divided the group into half, two, two sets of 20. And they said, to, they said to one group, we need you over in another building, and you're going to give a talk, I wrote it down, um, you're going to give a talk on, uh, you're going to expound on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so over in building whatever, you're going to go expound on the parable of the Good Samaritan. They said to the other group of 20, you're going to give a talk in a few minutes on possible careers that a degree in religious education could afford. So you 20, we're going to call you over to this building, and when we do, we want you to all to stand up and for a few minutes talk about uh, careers that a religious education could afford, and you 20, we're going to call you to another building, and we want you to just expound on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, when they had both groups of 20 settled, they divided each of those groups into thirds, as best you could. And they said to the first third, you're already a bit late, so you need to go now. They said to the second third, you need to go at once and proceed quickly, not as fast as the first group, but but quickly. And then they said to the final group, "Uh, you've got three to five minutes to get to the next building. Now, both groups had to go through the same, uh, uh, Princeton Seminary's urban area, and they had to go through the same alleyway to get to their two separate buildings, all 40 students. And the study planted someone in the middle of the alleyway, dressed him up, hunched him over. It was five degrees out that day. He was coughing purposefully and was not adequately, adequately dressed. Out of the 40 that went on their way, 16 offered help. And the help those 16 offered, most of them equated to telling someone when they got to their building, there's somebody out in the alleyway somebody should take care of. That was the help they offered. The study went on to say that only a few... A very few out of the 40, didn't give an exact number, but let's say three or four out of the 40 actually stopped and offered that man assistance. You're about to go speak on the Good Samaritan and you better get to the next building. I don't have time. I got to go. I would if I could, if I had time. Guys, how many of us get in our car 20 minutes early to afford us time to stop if someone needs help? Who, who does that? Why are we leaving so early? Just in case there's a stranded motorist. Just in case somebody needs help, honey. That way we've built in the time. None of us do that. And so our justification is, I would if I could. But, miss, ma'am, sir, you, you got to understand. I, I got to teach tonight. They're looking for my assistance here tonight. I, somebody else will come along. Is that, is that what we're doing, guys? These were 40 people that were trained to go into the ministry, and they blew it. 
How much easier is it for us in our everyday lives to justify why we don't do it? And my call tonight, I think, for some of us is do it. And trust that God will pull you out when you've done enough. Um, I found this interesting, and so go back into the text. I was reading a commentary, um, Craig Bloomberg wrote a commentary on preaching the parables. He, he brought up a couple interesting points. I want to bring them to your attention. And in doing so, though, he brings us back to the text and says this. He says, if we start at the back end, actually, and go back up, it might make a little more sense. And so he says this, he says, first of all, believers, if you're a believer in Jesus tonight, you're called to show compassion to anyone in need. As a believer, we're called to show compassion to anyone in need. And then again, he starts with verse 37 because Jesus says, and he said, that the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Go and show mercy toward your neighbor. And obviously, in the text, Jesus is claiming that your neighbor is anyone. Anyone in need. Here's how hard it would have been. Look at, look, go back up to verse 20, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 30. Certain man was going down from Jerusalem. And by the way, I know this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many argue that was, it was an actual account. And the reason they argue that is because if it wasn't, if it was, if it was a, a, a true parable where the, where the figures were fictitious, it would have given the lawyer, and he, he would have been, you know, in his lawyer type of mind that can argue well, he may have said, this would have never happened. Or I can't even imagine this happening. So some people argue pretty, pretty strongly that maybe Jesus is actually referring to an actual event that took place. It's plausible. A man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and again, as Zachary told us, uh, about 3,300 feet in descent, um, 13 to 17 miles, fell among robbers. Can you show them that one picture? Um, here's, here's what the, the road may have looked like. In fact, that is the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And I show you this because I want us to get a visual of how hard it would have been. Watch this. You can see how easy it would have been to get mugged or robbed or whatever. He's lying there half dead. And by the way, don't over, look over the past the passage in 30 where it says, and they stripped him and beat him. I want us to get a visual of a, a naked or nearly naked man who's been beaten. And the reason I want us to do that is because I think for some of us, myself included, when we're sizing up the situation, that is a part of it, is how messy is this going to be? The guy's half dead. He's clearly bludgeoned and beaten and bloodied and naked. He's of no value. There's no, there's no, there's no reciprocation that's going to happen here. You can clearly see that. Keep looking at the picture, though, when I read this. And a certain, and by chance, and I love how Jesus says that, and by chance. Because there's one thing that Jesus makes clear, guys, and the scriptures make clear. Nothing happens by chance. And so Jesus, I think, is just adding to the situation by almost being 
sarcastic here by saying, and by chance, a certain priest walked by. When he knew it wasn't by chance, God was setting the priest up here. A certain priest walked by and was going down the road. And when he saw him, listen to this, he passed by on the other side. Now again, look at the trail. What other side? See, see, show them that there's another picture here, I think, too. I mean, kind of the same thing here. We're not talking about, you know, a 50-foot wide trail where I can just kind of, you know, I didn't see him that closely and I was, you know, I was on the right-hand side and he was on the left. And you would have a very clear view of this guy is right up on you. In other words, guys, based on the trail that this lawyer would have had in his mind when Jesus is telling this story, he would have known when he said the priest passed by on the other side, both Jesus and the lawyer would have known what that means is the priest would almost have to get out of the way of the guy. The priest would have to kind of go around him, if you will. The priest would have had to make a clear decision As I walk by you, I'm not helping you. And as he walked the rest of the way, the 13 miles or so, it had to have sat in his mind as it often does with me and maybe with you, did I make the right decision? And guys, I'm confident this is where the enemy does such a great job of convincing us that we did make the right decision. You're busy, they're not that hurt, you don't have any money, you don't, what are you going to do? I heard one guy say this, um, you know, part of the reason I don't help motorists is because I don't know how to change a tire. Look, I don't know. So what good would it do if I stopped because I don't know how to fix cars? And that was his justification until his car broke down. And then he was just desperate for anyone to stop by. With a phone, with with anything. Help, conversation, something. We're masters. Guys, we're masters at justifying why we don't do this. I want to move some of us maybe a little closer to center with try it. It's an adventure. It's messy. But maybe err on that side. There will be, as, as was mentioned, there's too many to help all the time, every time. I get that. My question is, if we went around the room right now, who's the last person you helped? And by that I mean, maybe this, who's the last person you had compassion on that moved you to action? Not that you just felt bad. We watch commercials of kids in third world countries or, and we feel bad, but, but we don't pick up the phone. So I'm not talking about you feeling bad for somebody. I'm asking you, when is the last time you had compassion for somebody that moved you to do something about it? Because guys, all three could have walked by and felt bad for the guy, and the guy could have still been laying there half dead. All three of them. The the, the Levite walks by, And when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him, and he bandaged up, listen, he bandaged up his wounds. Now the question is this, what did he bandage them up with? Let me pull out my emergency kit and 
His own clothes? That guy didn't have any clothes. That guy had nothing. What do you bandage someone up with that's half dead laying on the side of this kind of a of terrain? Your, your own clothes. Wasn't planning on doing that today. That really stinks. Or, are you kidding me, God? I just bought this. You've got to be kidding me if you want me to rip my clothes and help this person. I just bought this. Yeah, but Greg, that's how you stop hemorrhages. With a tourniquet. And there's nothing else around. Rip your shirt. Okay. Took out oil and wine and poured them on him. Which I got to think. Which I got to think. Probably wasn't planning on using it for that purpose. Then he put him on his own beast. Now, how do you take a half-naked guy who's dead, bleeding, bludgeoned, and half-dead, how do you put him on your beast? How do you put him on your donkey? Guys, you got to get down on the ground. you got to embrace somebody. You have to get their blood on your stuff. You have to get their pain on you. You have to get their dirt on you. You have to ruin your day to help this guy. What, what wasn't going to work was, I got a donkey here. Come on, like get up. Get on the donkey, I'll help you. I'm going to stand here, because I don't want to help you that much. Get on the donkey. Rather, he had to embrace this guy's pain. It's messy. Takes him to the inn. Gives the guy, as, as, as Zachary told us, two days worth of wages. Kids, we're not going to Wet and Wild this weekend. Why? You're the worst dad ever. Ruiner. Yeah, I, I fed a family of four with the money we were going to go to Wet and Wild, so we're not going this weekend. Two days worth of wages. Some of you guys, honestly, what's two days worth of wages for you? How many families could that feed? He wasn't, the, here's the, here's the, so he wasn't planning on it. That's the whole thing. I, I just, I can't imagine him showing up the inn saying, I have extra money. So here's two days. Because he says this. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay it. Go home and tell your spouse that. Hey, um, I just helped someone. I put them up for a few nights in a hotel or whatever. It's going to cost us 300 bucks. And I also told the hotel manager, um, if they damage the room or do anything, I'll pay for it. Pass the potatoes. Fireworks in a lot of homes. You did what? Who is this person? Who did you help? I don't know. I just saw them. They, they were in need. What, what, what's, their, what's their resume? What's their deal? I don't know. I just helped them. This guy did nothing but help this guy. To the extent, guys, where it cost him something. And that's kind of the, the Bloomberg's next point, which is religion often gets in the way of compassion. Um, and guys, I, honestly... I speak like I'm preaching to the choir on this. 
But there have been a few times where I have uh, chosen to act with compassion. Um, Most recently, I drive to work every day, same route, as many of us do. And I saw some guy sitting on the side of the road every day on a duffel bag, just sitting there reading. Wasn't asking for anything, didn't have a sign up, just sitting there reading. And it, it kind of gnawed on me. Probably about the 15th or 20th time. It wasn't the first time for sure. First time it was probably like, oh, that's interesting. wonder what that guy does all day. Second day, oh, he reads a lot. Good for him. And then by about the 15th day, hey, idiot, stop and ask the guy. And like Scott said um, on Sunday, God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Just stop and talk to him. And that was about two years ago. And that led to once a month meetings. And that led to once every couple weeks meetings. And that led to once a week meetings. And that led to, hey, it's Thanksgiving. What are you doing, John? I don't know. Well, my brother's having a Thanksgiving feast. Come to Thanksgiving dinner with us. You should, guys, honestly, you should have been there for the red tape I had to go through to have this guy at my brother's house because kids were around. I mean, I, it was like I had to fill out forms and triplicate and like I had to assure, I had to assure everyone there that this was going to be a safe thing. And at the end of the day, guys, it's a risk. Now, you want to be cautious to some degree. You don't want to be foolish. But can you really safeguard yourself that much where you can just put someone in bubble wrap and say, you go sit over there. Just be thankful I bought you to Thanksgiving dinner. No. So the whole day, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like, God, I'm trusting you with this. I'm just trusting you with this. He's here. And it turned out to be a great day. Nothing happened. And on the ride home, I put him up in a, in a hotel. There was a hotel by where he parks his stuff. He has a shopping cart and all the whole thing. And happens to be a hotel right by there, a Motel 6 or whatever. And put him up there so he could take a shower. And takes a shower. And guys, honestly, and I, I'm just saying this because you don't know until you get involved. And when I got involved with John's life, I said, God, I, I just, I just want to see this guy happy and healthy and, and, you know, off the streets and all that kind of stuff we all say. And I want to see him come to the Lord. And, and John just needed a shower. He's 65 years old. And guys, that shower took like 20 years off his life. He's been on the road for, he's been, on the, he's been out on the streets for 40 years since he's been about 18 or 19 years old. He's been on the streets. Now, John, in, to, you know, to my defense, he chooses to be on the street. And he's made that clear to me several times. I don't want to go to a shelter. I'm waiting for my social to kick in, which it may or may never kick in. I don't know how they'd even find him, but he keeps banking on that. He doesn't ask for money. He just said, God always provides for me. And he's been doing it for four decades. So there's a certain part of me that says, you know what? You choose that lifestyle. That's the lifestyle you choose. And then there's another part that says the guy is hungry. He needs a bath. He needs a shower. He needs some food. You can help with this. And the beautiful thing about God pairing me up with Jennifer is I didn't have to call her and debate that. She said, well, where are you? I said, well, there's a guy, there's a guy on the street. And so I put him up in a Motel 6. And guess what? He's coming over to Thanksgiving dinner with my brothers. So we got to stop on our way over. We got to pick him up. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> John had a great time. In fact, on the way back home, he said, I haven't had a meal like that in about 20 years. And I think that was the best Thanksgiving I've ever had. 
And guys, it was the same Thanksgiving you had. Same people, same food, you know, wasn't anything special, watch the ball games. Well, it just so happened that this is in 2013 that Jennifer and I are getting married in December of 2013. So Thanksgiving's in November, and now it's December. And as John and I were talking on our weekly talks and whatnot, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't avoid, you know, I'm not, so, you know, what, what are you doing for Christmas and all that kind of stuff? And hey, by the way, on the 28th of December, I'm getting married. And then there's this long kind of pause between me and him. So I said, um, do you want to come to the wedding? And he thought about it for a minute. And his first, his first comment was, what would I wear? I said, John, I don't care what you wear. This is like we're, this is our second marriage for both of us and this family. It's kind of that kind of a wedding. Wear what you want. I, I just love for you to be there. Have fun. Free food, free drink. Dance a little. So again, December, uh, he said he wanted Christmas by himself and whatnot. So I respected that. Put him up in a hotel for a couple days. Picked him. So guys, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. On my wedding day, I had to coordinate getting a homeless guy to my wedding. It's not, you know, I had other things to do. The one day I had something to do. I had to figure out who was going to, I picked them up, but who's going to drop them off? I'm going on my honeymoon. I can't drop them off. So I had to ask family members, hey, I'm glad you're having a great time at my wedding. Could you drive this guy back to a motel? Who? Who is this guy? He's a guy I met on the street, John. You know, he's, it's crazy. Um, here's, I brought a picture. Um, John's on the, you're right. And the funny thing about this picture is I didn't ask him to be in it. We were taking family photos and the photographer said, okay, Tonkinson family. So this is all my family. Um, Tonkinson family, you know. And John was sitting over here having a drink or something. And John just walked up in the photo. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> and guys, again, John asked Jennifer to dance. And John told me later when we got home from our honeymoon, um, he said, Greg, I can't remember the last time I danced. And I had such a great time dancing with your wife. And he was out there doing a little twist. And it was fun. And he ate and drank and, and um, it was good. And to your point, are there other people a few hundred feet away from John that also need help? Yes. They're not here. I didn't pick them all up. But I picked one up. I, 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 I had compassion on one that moved me to action. And guys, I'm, uh, it's been costly. I got to be honest with you. He goes out, listen to this, just sidebar here. He spends six months in D.C., hitches out to Phoenix, spends the winter months out here, hitches back to D.C. And he's been doing that for 40 plus years. I said, John, you're, he's never been mugged. He's never been like vandalized or beat up or anything. It, it's, he's, it's unbelievable, really. Um, I said, John, why do you do it? He said, I, I got a favorite place back in D.C. And I got a favorite place out here. 
So that's why I do it. And I said, all right, well, God, for a moment, for a moment, could we just have a good time together? That's all. That, listen, what's cool about this story, guys, is Jesus doesn't say after to take care of him, verse 35, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I'll repay you. Jesus doesn't go on to say, and then the Jew and the Samaritan became best friends, and then the Jew and the Samaritan, you know, went to each other's weddings. Or It doesn't say that. The whole point is he had compassion, and his compassion moved him to action. So the first step for me is to get religion out of the way by simply asking God to give me a heart of compassion. And for some of us in here, guys, that's a huge task. That's a tall order for some of us in here tonight. God, I want a heart of compassion. Now, why do I say it's a tall order? Because of this final point, which is this. The person in the ditch, if you will, could be my enemy. See, if it works out, it just happened for John and me. It just happened to work out that we had, you know, we we're akin to one another. There was no adverse feelings or, you know, racial issues or anything like that. It was just, you, you need some help. I've got a little bit. Here's some. And that was it. But what if John was my enemy? Now how compassionate am I? See, guys, I think Jesus wants us to have compassion that moves us to action, but it's interesting that he, that he interwove into this story. It, honestly, it could have been Jew falls over, gets beat up, three Jews. The last Jew helps, all is good. And the story's about compassion. The last Jew had compassion, the first two didn't. What's the moral of the story? Have compassion, great. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, put, he, he positions one enemy against another. And he raises the level now of compassion to say, you may, thought, you may have thought you had compassion before you came in here tonight. Now I just want to interject one more final thing. Picture the person you don't like. Picture the people group that you hate. Picture the person that you just do not get along with. So let me bring it down to our level. Your ex-spouse is laying on the road. Honestly, um, the relative who wronged you and has not confessed or repented of it is right there. The boss that fired you and had no right to do it is right there, right? And we could go on and on. And Jesus says, have compassion and let your compassion move you to action. Who's your enemy? Um, Palestinian and Jews, Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, um, ISIS. I mean, who's your enemy? Right? And those are fine enemies in terms of those are like enemies out there. I'm asking, who's my enemy? Who's the... And, and, and guys, as Zachary mentioned... I'm a Samaritan. You've labeled me as a dog. The Jew labeled the Samaritan as a half-breed. Not dog, I would rather my dogs get the scraps that fell off the, my table 
before I give it to a Samaritan was the Jews' mentality. And the Samaritan knows that. What a prime opportunity for the Samaritan to walk by and say what? Say what? What would you say if you were a Samaritan wanting to get back? I I hope you rot. I hope, I hope, I, who, whatever God I pray to, I pray that that God doesn't allow anyone to come by till you bleed out. If, if there was a cliff, I'd kick you off of it. For all the things you've done to my people, for all the, all the misgivings and the contempt you've had for me and my people, and now look who's in need. Jesus comes along, I think, and says, there's two people that you need to play the part of here. The first one is, be the Samaritan here. Be the hero of the story. Can you be the hero of the story when your enemy is in the ditch? Can you? Um, I married Jennifer in 2013. Uh, My first wife, Leanne, was killed in a car accident kid that killed her, hit her from behind doing 75, no breaks. And uh, he died as well. And we have no idea to this day why it happened. Right? Autopsy report came back. No drugs, no alcohol. It was 7.30 at night. Hit her so hard that her, her car flipped. Her neck snapped instantly. Killed her instantly. I've never heard from his family I've told you that before. Never heard from his siblings. So guys, for a long time, he was my enemy. Long time. 20 years old. Took away a 35-year-old woman, mother of three kids. And what Jesus is asking me is, to, to Earl's point of grace, is... If he's in the ditch, Greg, do you have compassion for him? Not because of what he did, not because of who he represents, but because he's in need right now. Because at that very moment where your paths crossed, he's in need. Do you help him? Because you've got a lot of reasons not to. Your ex-spouse may have done some horrific things that they have yet to own. And I think a lot of us guys live, this, live these lives of, I can't wait till they're in need and they're looking for help from me. Because I've, I've already written an email that'll tell them where they can shove that. I'm just waiting to send it. And then I heard a story about the Good Samaritan and now I'm, now I'm, now I'm conflicted. Because as a Christian, I can't have that email. Again, I'm not a doormat. The second person, though, and this is what Bloomberg said that I thought I'd never thought about. So listen to this. You're the one who's half dead. And you're looking up for help. And your enemy walks by. Do you take their help? Be the person that's half dead, be the Jew. You've hated Samaritans your whole life. You won't associate with them. 
You make fun of them. It would kill you to have one of your relatives marry a Samaritan. And now you're lying half dead, gasping for your last few breaths of life, and a Samaritan walks by. Are you so prideful that you say, keep, well, I would rather die than let you help me? And not to make this some sort of, um, you know, analogy here, but guys, some of us do that with God. I'm so prideful, God. I'm so, I'm so into doing it on my own that when you've brought me to my knees and you've brought help, I will refuse to take it. Isn't it? Praise God that the Jew was so beat up, I guess, that he had no choice. But often, don't we have the choice to say to that person, that's okay, I'll take it from someone else, but not you. What if your ex-spouse all of a sudden, miraculously, gained a heart of compassion and wanted to help you? Would you take it? Or would pride get in the way? I think what's beautiful about this story, guys, honestly, is Jesus sets it up where compassion can minister to us at all kinds of levels. And as I said in the beginning, you may be doing fine on this, honestly. Like, no pride in the room. You're just saying, God, if, if you were to come get me tonight, I'm okay with this. This area of my life, when I see people, I do have compassion. And that compassion leads me to action. And I can, I, I, that's not theory, I can show you who, whom I have helped and what I've done. I can show you. Praise God for that. Be a beacon unto the church, please. Be a, be, be a person that communicates through your testimony, you can do this. And then there's some of us, we're getting there. We have compassion. We're just needing to act. It's messy. It's risky. It's costly. It's ugly. Go do it. Go do it. Be late for something. Tell your relatives for your next birthday, I'm sorry I'm a half hour late. I was helping somebody. Tell your boss, oh, you can let me go, I guess, but this, I needed to do this. Try it. See what God does. I, I can almost guarantee you this, guys. It won't last forever. Rarely do we forge relationships that are decades long with someone that we've helped. Rarely. Sometimes, but rarely. It's cool if it happens, but it, you don't have to pin yourself into that. Well, if I help this guy, God, we're going to, you know, he's going to come to every, he's going to my kid's wedding. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to happen like that. Try it, though. Stop calculating all of the variables before you make a decision and pull the trigger. And then finally, guys, maybe for some of us tonight, our hearts are so um, lacking compassion. There's some bitterness there. Would you ask God tonight to work on that? With a particular person, maybe. Maybe with a particular group. Um, you know, what's been coming down from the Supreme Court and whatnot. That may frustrate you. It's frustrated me. Jennifer and I, I've, I've had lengthy and good discussions, healthy discussions, how, 
how frustrated I am with what's been happening lately in our country. Um, maybe someone that is a fan of something that you're not is in the ditch and needs help. Maybe you're pro-life and they uh, promote abortions. Maybe you're a man and woman married and they're a homosexual that's married to someone of the same sex. And you don't know them, you just know their lifestyle and you're against their lifestyle. Maybe they're your enemy. You don't have to approve of their lifestyle to show compassion and to have that compassion lead to action. In fact, I would be willing to bet you this. If you did that, you have a better chance of sharing the love of Christ with somebody after you've done that than sharing the love of Christ with them as, as bait to then help them. I would argue in the midst of your helping them, they're going to ask, I'll bet you're against my lifestyle. Why are you helping me? And what they've really said was, would you share Jesus Christ with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. And I know this story is um, well told and well known. And, but God, as, every time I read it, I am brought back to um, go and do likewise. And I just have to ask one more time, Father, um, who can I show compassion to this week? Who, 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 who can I be moved to act not in a way that's going to gain any fame or fortune. I guess I just, I want to apply this, God, to my life. And, and I pray that um, there would be more opportunities to do that. And as was mentioned, um, well stated tonight, when spirit, when you lead us, when you, um, when you uh, prick our hearts, if you will, hey, stop, pull over, hey, Reach out to your neighbor. Hey, um, that person's going through something. Hey, did you know that that person just experienced this? Go and say hi to them. Go and ask them what you can do. Go and be with them. God, I pray that we would do that. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be so moved because of the adventure that we would just act and trust you with the results. We love you, Father. We thank you for tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, I have two, two minutes, and so really one, one quick story before you guys take off. Um, I wanted to, it doesn't always go the, this way, okay? Um, I, I used to live on a cul-de-sac like Scott did, and I saw a moving truck uh, three, three houses down. And so I thought, here we go, right? Um, Good Samaritan or whatever, something like that, right? Kindness. So I, had, I went out to the store and bought cookies. I didn't bake them, but I bought them. Put them in a dish that looked like I baked them. them. <laughs> Wrap them up, and I go to the neighbor. Uh, looked like a single mom and two teenage sons, and they're in and out of the truck. And so I said, um, as best as I could, brought little Caden with me. He was little at the time, brought these cookies. I said, hey, my name's Greg. Thanks so much uh, for moving in the neighborhood. And, you know, I've been here for about eight, nine years. Anything I can do for you? You know, and, and 
And the reaction, I thought, was less than affirmative. She was just, she was eyeballing me, just staring through my soul, no expression. So when I get into those situations, I just keep talking. And so I just kept talking about the neighborhood and the places, the parks and the schools and on and on and on, several minutes at length. I finally said, you know what, enough is enough. So I said, so here, these are for you. And if you have any questions about the neighborhood, please let me know. And she took them, she's holding the cookies and she said, I live here. I'm moving. I've lived here. Like, we're now leaving. And she won't let me off the hook. She's holding the cookies, and that's all she said. So I looked down at Caden, and I looked back at her, and I said, enjoy the cookies. And I just, (laughs) and I left. It doesn't always go the way you want it to go, okay? Have a good night, guys. We'll see you uh, next week.